You're listening to Red Nation Online. Saturday, May 7th, it's Steve Perry, I'm Ian Clark, and we're back from BMO Field and Toronto FC's 2016 home opening 1-0 victory over FC Dallas. While the goals were few, the Reds had an absurd amount of chances on goal, along with strong moments from Clint Irwin to secure the clean sheet. We open up by discussing the new-look BMO Field, run through the match, highlighting Jovinko, Altidore, and Endo, as well as the play of Michael Bradley and Will Johnson, go over sights and sounds, smoke and mirrors, then look ahead to the Vancouver Whitecaps next weekend. All this and more on the next 45 minutes on Eastside Stand Up. Here we are, Steve. This is the first time we've ever done Eastside Stand Up in the stretching room. So after this 1-0 win, we're going to loosen up, work out the cramps, limber up, limber up uh, you know, work out all those missed chances, and uh, you know, get ready for next week. Okay, sure. I guess that defines the game anyway. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to <laughs> off the hop. that it's uh, Obviously, by now people would know it's, uh, it was a 1-0 win. Last year, after this whole hoopla about our stadium reconstruction or stadium renovations, Toronto comes back home and loses 2-1 to Houston. But this year, come back and we win. After eight weeks on the road. And this year, well, last year's road form wasn't as bad. I think we ended up with three wins over that too. But more losses, not as many points. This year, there seemed to be a fair bit more optimism coming home to BMO Field than there was last year. And of course, now that we've won the game, I think you can say that there's a little more momentum going on the club side. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I guess that brings us to four wins, right? We, out of uh, nine games, so we're close to 500% or 500, batting 500, whatever the, that statistic would be. Yeah, yeah whatever, whatever that works out to be. I mean, it's like one in almost every two games that we're winning, right? So uh, that's not so bad. Um, but definitely, you know, I'm a skeptic, right? I got I, There's so much... Uh, I guess there was just so much pomp and circumstance to the home opener. You know, they're certainly trying to sell the stadium to you. Uh, there was all these fireworks at the beginning, which was just like, you know, another bit of ridiculousness. It just felt like the 4th of July in there. Anyway, I you know, uh, it's nice to win, but as I was mentioning to you, I felt like Dallas had maybe three, four chances, and their chances seemed a little bit more solid than the ones that we had, the multitude of chances that we seem to have. I guess if we were to look at, I mean, we started off sort of taking a look at um, what's different and what's the same. What's different is that uh, for a home opener, I recognize some of the names, including especially the, designated players, including the DPS. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, usually they fuck off after the first after the first year of their play, right? This year they seem to stuck around, which is nice to see. So that's different. <laughs> while having some sim- while having some familiarity, the fa- I guess familiarity is different for this team, right? Yep. Different. What's different? You know, I think I think the the first thing we should start the, the this podcast off is is maybe the initial impressions of the stadium. 
Because that's the first thing okay. we're going to see walking up to it. That's and certainly the hype. So why not uh, give our give our comments on it? Was it uh, well? What, what did you think of it? I mean, you took a picture of it right away. Was it ominous to you? Was it uh, was it what you expected? Was it uh, you think it stands up to other stadium rebuilds or stadium upkeep or state stadium maintenances? Like, what do you th- what are your thoughts? Well, I still think like in the, in the big picture of MLS. It's not the nicest stadium out there. Um, it does have a big bridge uh, covering the. Well, it doesn't. It's not a bridge actually. It looks like a bridge, but it's the actual the the covering for the south end, right? Yeah. And the north end is missing because that's where they're you know going to expand for the football team, right? So uh, North America, North American football, not European football. <laughs> if I could, because well, Argos, Canadian football. Yeah, I guess the Argos are going to go in there too, right? So they need uh, they need to be able to expand to allow for end zones. Uh, so the north end is gone, but there is some seats there, but it's mostly general admission now, which is kind of neat. Um, but there is oh, that, that goes back to the first few years before they built that the north stand because that was just a big open beer garden. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. But uh, and they have that. Uh, they have that. Certainly, they have a like a concrete wall that definitely makes an end to it. Like you, it doesn't really go all the way to the food building or anything, which makes me think like, that looks a bit like Lamport Stadium, actually. I don't know if you've ever been in Lamport Stadium, but it's uh, all like sort of like a... It's concrete. It's all concrete, yeah, poured concrete. You know, I think, I think honestly, my, my, my gut impression is just like, yeah, it's okay. Like I'm not, I'm not like blown away. I'm not like, this is the coolest stadium ever. I think that, here's the first thing I'll say. I think the North End looks bad right now. However, like I'm sure there's more to come that they're gonna sort that out and get that looking proper, but it yeah. doesn't. Yeah. It looks just like a gaping hole. Yeah, yeah. I would say the Sounds south good. end that your the bridge. <laughs> it looks like a bridge, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks. It doesn't. It doesn't look like a roof to me. No. It just looks like this big ha- thing hanging over. Like it doesn't look like it serves a purpose. Our side of the stadium, I think, looks cool. Yeah. I think the east side. Well, we can't really see it. We're just- no, but if we're under it, and it feels like we're on a proper stand. Yeah. That's the way I feel about it. Yeah. And the west side. I guess, but we didn't get tested, so we were supposed to get rain today. It's raining right now. It's raining after. That's why we're in the stretching. That's why we're stretching. We didn't actually get to try out the like the, the roof, right? Because, uh, I mean, they were calling for rain. I dressed for rain. I thought yeah. there was going to be rain. We were, we were calling. We were calling, calling it on. Yeah. Like, bring the rain. Yeah, we want to see what this roof's all about. Yeah, for sure. But we didn't get to actually see what it's about. So I guess we'll, you know, find out uh, either with the sun games or with like the rain games later on in the season. But uh, for the first game, I mean, yeah, you're right. It looks nice, but we can't really tell if it works or not. <laughs> yeah, I think you were impressed by the steel girders, like uh, like not the girders, but the steel. Uh, I guess the pillars that go that are holding this this uh, roof up, right? They're they're massive. They're huge. Yeah. They're monstrosities. You know what I heard? I heard. And if someone knows differently, they can tell me, right, the company that built those is owned by Tim Sittler, who's the brother of Daryl Sittler, oh. former Toronto Maple Leaf. Right. And he, his company Keep does... In the family. His company, that, that's what they do. They build these monstrous... Or, no, his company owns, like, the machines that place and lower these things. So, like, their company would have gone to Russia to bring up that nuclear submarine from the bottom of the ocean. Oh, Interesting. And then in an instance like this, when you're lowering a roof down onto a stadium, yeah. they would be required for that too. Crazy. Yeah. That's a real niche market. <laughs> but one that's worth a, a <laughs> multi-millions of dollars. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, the, you know, and the only thing I would say too is that to add on to that, I think 
as we can see, we talk, we call the pomp and circumstance that kicked this game off. There was sort of a moment right at the kickoff that I was starting to feel it a bit. The music was, the music system super loud. They played that. They certainly have spent a lot of money on video production, I think, this year. Like, I, I, there was endless collages. They seemed all different, too, of uh, Toronto FC hype. Like, I just feel like uh, they're really pitching it to you this year. Like, really, uh, like, in terms, I mean, it seems like they've gone totally, I don't know, they've just really entered, like, a period of, like, uh, crazy digital marketing, right? <laughs> like it just not digital marketing, but video marketing. Yeah, like it's just like I mean, they have you captive. You're, you're watching this the board. You're waiting for something to happen. I thought I was seeing like a Godzilla preview. Like it was like ding ding, well, and it felt like a drive-in too, right? Because you're like in this drive, like it's a huge screen. So you and you're just kind of like waiting for because you're waiting for the team to come out. Like nothing's happening. Like it was one after another after another. Like there was at least three like really sophisticated video productions of like hype of like you know what was there was like that one they ended up. There was one, one you thought it was a commercial. All on guard. Uh, oh it was, yeah. It was like all for all something all on guard all for one. So like they ended with the you know they, I mean they seem to be trying to take uh, capture some of the spirit of the fans and turn it into something. Uh, hipper for sure definitely it wasn't it wasn't terrible uh you do get motivated a little bit it's not you know whatever but it's just but i i leaned over to you and said it's, it really feels like triumph of the will here right so <laughs> yeah <laughs> so there's a lot of propaganda like just i mean i don't know whatever it's just like you got to take it i guess because you kind of you know what, do you, what yeah. are your choices really yeah. you got to sit there and fucking go through it and maybe that's one thing why when i'm like when when i look at the same like it's okay it's because i think the last week or two or three weeks we've really been fed through various media outlets like this is the greatest this is the best and i feel like it's if 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 they just like kind of like here's the, here's the well, pictures in, here it is but it's in an environment where the Raptors are sort of in the playoffs so like and they've actually went further this year and the Blue Jays have just started and there's high hopes for the Jays and like it's like there's this sort of this uh, hype around Toronto sports right now I don't know almost viral in some ways going to so the football is now the latest introduction the home opener just happened on a you know the Raptors just won. You know their second game in the in the second part of the series. It's just people are kind of like there's a banner going on. Like people are rah rah rahing a yeah. lot, right? There's a lot of cheerleading going on. So okay, so that's that's the environment that we're in right now. Anyway, yeah, if I could put it that way. That I mean, we have to put the context to it because it's just like there is a lot of hoopla around Toronto sports right now. This is true, very true. Um, so you know what? Let's let's get into the game, Steve. Yeah, sure. let's look at this and start with. Um, you know, obviously, Toronto's coming this game uh, off a 2-1 loss to Portland Timbers, or lost to the Portland Timbers, and Dallas is having a bit of a... They had a great start to the season, but they're, going, they're coming on back-to-back losses. So it was a game where I think probably both teams were eager uh, to get back on track, and Toronto especially had really gone from, you know, a, a couple of low points to then really gaining some momentum uh, when they got... Josie Altidore back in the lineup, and it seemed they sort of figured out what their starting 11, their ideal starting 11 was. Uh, and today we didn't quite see that. There was really just one player that that sort of switched out from what we've been seeing from the last few games, and that was um, Tsubasa Endo coming in or starting for Jonathan Osorio, who I think was still coming off of an ankle injury, so that's why he didn't get the start. 
But the players, some of the players, Steve, that you would be familiar with or not, not as familiar with. Who ended up being the goal scorer of the winning game. The, I mean, he scored. Yeah, fair goal, enough. Right? So in some ways it was maybe a good, I don't know, a good substitution. But we were also thinking, well, I mean, you, I noted it, you noted it. He seemed to be crowding the sort of the number, well, Altador. Altador, he was crowding him out. Like every every chance that he got was like, looked like it was also going to Altador, and he just sort of intercepted it and screwed up two of them, before, or I think it was three of them before he actually finally connected on the, that fourth one, which was the goal. Uh, and so I just thought maybe he didn't know where to play with Altador, like, or maybe he's the short man and Altador's the long man. Uh, I, I, I certainly saw Altador... He was flexible. He, he he sort of compensated for where where um, Endo was going. So I mean, I don't know. There does seem to be at least uh, <laughs> at least there there seems to be like a, a way to like make that work or whatever. It, it also gives us a little bit more width because Altador can be longer than and and he can go in for the short play. But at, at times I just felt like whoa, he's just like he's just stealing his thunder. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and the well, there was the first. I think the first one was he was through the middle and and Altador would have been. Far post, and he would have picked it up. And there's and then, times when Altidore, I mean, you kind of like wonder, well, does Altador have it still? Like, I mean, today, like, he missed like some great shot chances, but then they missed the team missed so many great chances. I mean, you commented to me on the way home that it should have been ten. It should have been ten. Nothing, right? <laughs> and and that sounds that sounds stupid, right? That's such a joke no, comment. But, but no, then but, I'm like, admittedly, we missed we missed at least a you know tw- two dozen chances on net, and you know half of those should have gone in. Right, so ten nothing isn't an exaggeration. No, and it's it harkens back to, and this is something I guess that as you know, the next home game and the game after they go through those games because you know last weekend that was that was sort of a storyline was that Toronto had four or five like amazing chances on goal that they had they forced uh, Gleason and Portland to make like diving saves to keep it out of goal. And you know, one of the first one of the first opportunities that was for Endo that he couldn't direct into goal. And we saw that again today, where he had that first <laughs> one, where I think it was a cross. He was inside the six yard box. And I'm just like, how did you miss? Yeah, and he'd put it I mean, just like whatever, a foot or two out, wide. Just outside of the keeper's reach, and he had that open that open back half of the net. Um I mean, yeah, sure, he was a little bit wide, and so that's why I mean he couldn't re- redirect it in. But like, you know, from where we were sitting. It looked like, whoa, that was like a sure thing. How could you miss, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't, but like it, but our angles, it was tough to tell because we're sort of in line with uh, the North End's key goal, right? So that's where we're watching it from. So there was lots of chances like that. I mean, there was like cheeky chips by, uh, uh, I remember Giovenko took a, a, like this really cheeky chip when the keeper was off his line and, and it just it hit the back of the net. And I was just like, oh man, like if that would so this is one of the things I noticed about Giovanco. <laughs> sorry, I just wanted to say that, like, one of the things that, if I was to characterize part of today's game, is that uh, Giovanco took a lot of shots from distance. So he was also doing, you know, what I mean, what we normally see from him is some genius, and and then some, like, not him not being selfish, trying to set up a lot of people, right? Uh, so he was giving lots of service to people. Uh, making these great plays, like you know, one-offs and different things like that. But mostly, I would say, what characterized his game today was he would hit, he would get close to the 18-yard line, and he shoot. So he's shooting from distance. I mean, that's one of the things I noticed from him today. Always shots from distance, and I just thought, oh man, just take it a little further, <laughs> make your chances better. 
anyway, I just felt like, uh, I guess in some ways I was thinking that uh, what's good about this is like at least he gets the chance in, right? Where some, most people will just run it and then lose it or whatever. You know, so he was getting at least the chances in. But the other things I was thinking is he's talented and he can keep the ball and he's a great dribbler and, you know, he probably wouldn't have lost it if he kept going with it. So maybe he should have took his chance and tried to get some more yardage before letting go. Of a shot because he would have. I mean, he's deadly, right? Yeah. I mean, he hit a post and the. Yeah, like that's what I'm thinking. You know, it, it's just like two, he hit a post. Two sides to that, 18, right? Right. He, it was outside of the 18. He hit that post, and you're just like. And he had players like, in front of him, and it looked like a pass. It didn't even look like a shot, and you're just like, like you can't tell with him, right? That, which the keeper just seemed like flat, almost flat footed because he wasn't sure if it was a pass or not. Yeah. He didn't realize it was a shot. But uh, you know, on the other side, the other side of that though is how important though it is to have a player that. Yeah. is a threat from distance and that's yeah, sure. right in that we've had you know we've seen this for eight years where sometimes it feels like toronto's trying to walk the, literally walk the ball into goal right. and I, i'm even right. thinking of a joke that tim made one here is probably 2012 or 2011 whereas you know we they gave an award for how close you can get to scoring without actually putting the ball in the net we would have won that yeah. i think that was the start of the 2012 we went 0 and 9 off the start if i remember correctly well, I don't disagree that Jovinko sometimes had chances where he probably and he's you know he can he can cut left and right so easily yeah. and nutmeg these guys in MLS like it's nothing and, and stop and start. I mean, you know, you saw him do use that too, right? Where he would just like lull the guy into a slow pace and then take off and turn into second gear, right, and beat people. So, um, so anyway, I just I found it interesting. But right? if we talk about the goal, it's true. It's, it's true. It's, yeah, because that's every, that is a culmination of. Like the two guys we've started off this podcast with, and to a lesser degree, maybe even Josie, is that it was between Jovinko and Endo and another ball that looked like it could have gone to Josie, but it was Endo who finally settled it down and slotted it in. And that's where I saw the flexibility about Josie. I saw him, like, he went for the ball, he realized Endo was, and they backed off and went to the back post, and I was just like, if Endo didn't shoot, he could have easily given it over to Altador, and that would have been a slotted home shot, right? You know, there's times when I, Josie Altador, like, I don't want to get on his case because that guy is so strong up front, and I'm just like his muscle and the way he muscles people off the ball and he wins balls, and I wish he would have scored at least one more. I, like, I felt like he was due today, definitely at least two or three anyway, and I just thought, aside from getting sort of poached from Endo, I thought, like, at, at, in the second half, he was really coming on, and I just thought, yeah, we're, maybe we're going to see him on the board too, right? I, I was hoping anyway. Yeah, because I think I, if I had to guess, if we start, if we listen to what some of the post-game chatter is, I think it probably mixed reviews on Altidore. I, I think so, because I think he's like, at times he was kind of slow and getting stripped of the ball, and I just thought like, I, I mean, you made a comment uh, about uh, this Dallas team saying that you th- I mean, it, they looked younger, you were saying that lots of them come up from South America, right? And so you see some of that real great ball dribbling skill that you see from Latin American players, right? So, uh, and we saw flashes of it tonight, but like they, I mean, we sort of uh, possessed the ball more. So, I mean, really the, the you know, the few times that they possessed, they they were dangerous, but they didn't possess it that much, right? So no. that, that was really, I mean, if I was to describe the game, it's just we outpossessed the game. Yeah, especially I would say definitely for sure in the in the first half, that was clearly the story of the first half was that we had four or five really good chances on goal. Dallas hardly had any possession or any chances but I on think goal. It only feels like it was different in the second half because the last part of the second half, you know, Dallas was really making a, a coming. They on. did have a couple of good chances in the second half. 
And what about that keeper getting injured and out of out of uh, substitutions and the fullback having to go in net? And that kind of like I mean we kind of I mean they were really pressuring us at that point. They had about three ch- chances on net in that last six that last additional six minutes of extra time. All, it felt like all we had to do was shoot. <laughs> and we did. I mean, we didn't. We had chances. Yeah. Altador had one of them, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we had tons of chances in the, the second half. We almost had too many that I can even remember. <laughs> that I'm sure there was ones that people are going to talk about that. At the, from the 64th minute to the 66th minute, those, there was like three minutes of just like end to end action, actually. That was like the most exciting part of the game, I, thought, I felt. And then it sort of just kind of petered out a bit. But I, uh, I wanted to say something else that was different. And part of it was in that period where I noticed that we were counterattacking all the time. So something that maybe last year was different. I mean, we, we haven't remarked, remarked a bit on about the defense at all, like the back line. It's a, um, I mean, it's not a completely new backline. There's half of them. Fifty percent, maybe. Yeah. Oh, including the goalie, more than. Uh, so, but just right. I mean, because Perkis is there and Moro's there, so we had two from last year, and you know, the new keeper and two other guys. Uh, from other people I've talked to, they say, yeah, we've got a we've got a decent backline this year. That's part of the difference, right? And so you see it with them soaking up pressure, but you also see it with the ability to counterattack, and we're counterattacking, which I've never seen us really do. Uh, and we were doing it pretty effectively. So I felt like when Dallas was trying to pressure us, we pretty much could have finished that game by just finishing on one of the counterattacks. And I was just like pleasantly surprised that we have a counterattack. <laughs> that's, I mean, to me, that's just like, I, I mean, it feels like we've got a lot of different options all of a sudden. Like it seems like, holy shit, this is a team that can play. Yeah. And, you know, that's might have been not the story, but – the, the season opening game against the Red Bulls, like that was how we won. They just sat back, took the pressure, found the chance to counter, went down the field and scored a goal. Which is how Italy's been so successful, right? That's like an Italian, that's a classic Italian strategy. And if we, you know, you kind of touched on a few things there that I think are worth discussing through the second half. I mean, one is uh, Clint Irwin in goal and the chances that he turned well, aside. There was really one saved, that was... He really saved us, right? Like the, yeah, so the one where the where it was I think it was Castillo it was snuck behind the back line. Yeah. And then we, we should say that like that was the player. <laughs> he didn't start the game. No, he oddly didn't. enough, Akindele started, who was Canadian playing for Dallas. And I thought it was funny because at halftime I went and met uh, John from Canucks abroad and met this guy Zach, who I know from various forums, meeting him for the first time. And they were saying something like, I think we asked, you know, is Castillo out there, and I was like, you know what? I don't think he is because if he was out there, I think I, we would have spent, we would have made note because he's that good. And they subbed him in at the half, and he was just on the on his side of the pitch. I guess he'd been going up against Betashore too fast, and his dribbling too good. And I was surprised actually they didn't try to isolate that more often. Yeah, that second half, I mean, you could see that he was actually he he was a great substitution because he was dangerous. Yeah, and he was sneaking in behind them, and he was doing runs, and he was like dribbling and holding onto the ball, and just he did. There was a lot of variety from him. He was a great player. So the first one that I wasn't sure when I when we saw the replay, I wasn't sure if actually Irwin made the save, but Dallas, yeah, Dallas had that um, corner kick that their I can't remember who it was on their team got a free, pretty much a free header in there, and it looked like he may have actually headed down on the foot of his own player. But either way, that was the first dangerous chance that Dallas really had that they could have scored. But the second one that we're just talking about where Clinton really saved the day was when Castillo yeah. snuck behind the back the yeah. back line, got in one V one, 
And uh, 65th and a half minute, 6530. I was writing it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then puts the leg out and just knocks it wide. And that was, I mean, that was. And that led to a counterattack. I mean, that, and so that, that's what I was saying. It was end to end excitement. Like, that's the kind of, I mean, that, the way he snuck behind that guy, he, like, st- the ball came through to him. He made the run. He timed the run perfectly. He had enough time to get, you know, composure and get the ball. He should have sunk that, right? But somehow Erwin came up with a save, which was amazing. And that, I mean, that would have that would have been all the difference, right? That would have been the difference between a win and a tie. That yeah. was the difference, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and I and I, you know, we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, and sort of like, you know, Irwin came in and the first couple of games wasn't really <laughs> tested, but then he had some really good games. He had a good game against. He had a pretty. He had a good game against Colorado, even though we lost. He had a good game against. DC United. I just don't feel like since Stefan Fry, we've had a goalie who you can really be like, he won that game for us. Or like you can point to them and say, if, if it was someone else, you know, there wasn't another keeper that was going to do those kind of things. And I don't think over the last few years, I like Milos Kosic, but, um, and he did do that for actually, but people know from the podcast that between Bendik and Kanopka last year, I didn't, they weren't, they were just there in my opinion. They weren't guys that were really taking charge and you know leading from the back, so to speak. So for Irwin to come in today and do that, uh, I think was a good sign for for especially in a home opener. Uh, and the last, you know, the last area I want to talk about, Steve, was getting our thoughts on that central midfield pairing of Michael Bradley and Will Johnson, who I think, you know, I think there might be people uh, nitpicking here and there, saying you know there might have been some turnovers and whatnot, but there was some. Pretty, you know, monumental displays from both those guys in parts of the game where they just bossed players. They covered tons of ground, dispossessed, got possession back. The work rate was was really high, I thought, for both those players. And I thought that was a big reason why, especially against like tricky, you know, the technical Latin players. I thought they both did a really good job. And I think they were part of the big key of why this result stayed at 1-0. I don't disagree with anything you said. I, and I, I feel like uh, Bradley seems to be more of a def- uh, like a holding defender, right? So kind of like a Julian de Guzman, right? He se- seems to be more comfortable in the back. And we noted even last year when he sort of pushes forward, it's a bit, I mean, it, it's there, but it's a bit clumsy, right? And he just, it, I don't know, it kind of leaves the back open and, and exposed. And maybe that's uh, helping us with a stronger defense. I mean, they always, one of the strategies for building a football team is always built from the back. In some ways, you've got one of your DPs in the back, and then you've got two of them up front. So it makes sense that, I mean, it's, it's not completely even, but... Uh, you got sort of half of it. You got one in the half, one in the back half, and two in the up, in the front half, and that's kind of how you're going to win games, I think. So, I don't know. I, I think Will Johnson was a great addition, and even when he took out the keeper at the end, I mean, whether it was accidental or not, it was a great strategy. Take out the keeper. <laughs> they didn't have any subs. <laughs> yeah, we like. I'm like, how can we, how was no one ever ever but thought it, about this it, before? But it's also like a great like. Um, yeah, no, people. You think it would happen more often? It it does happen all the time. And the thing is, like, I mean, the spirit of like just following through on the play is kind of like a thing that just builds like some momentum for your players, right? So it was a great. I mean, I'm glad he didn't stop. That's I'm, you know, people are like, oh, maybe he shouldn't have gone through. I'm just like, fuck, fuck that. He should totally have gone through. I mean, if he wanted, like, he you want to bury this game, right? Especially with five minutes left to go. 
Uh, and, you know, Dallas isn't going to give up, right? They were pressing. So you needed to try and bury it. I think it was, uh, it showed great character. To me, it's like a guy who wants to score and wants to win. And anyway, and he's Canadian, which is also a bonus. Like, I mean, it, we need more Canadians on this team, despite that they're still international status. I still think that rule is bullshit. <laughs> How can they have Canadian teams in this league and not like them be considered domestic players? I don't get that. I still they have still a reason for me. it. They have a reason for it, and it's when total thinking, horseshit. When I was watching him, and I was thinking, this is this rule is still bullshit. <laughs> I'm always happy to throw that in there, Steve, as a, as a as a side note. So if we look at you know that kind of in a way winds down the game, as we said before. I mean, there was. There's so many chances down the stretch that you really lose track. So maybe it's like my the, well, the at parting. Point, at one point, I was counting like a, a ch- we were having a good chance every three minutes. Like it was like that crazy. It's at some and then there was times when it sort of petered out to maybe every ten minutes. But like we were getting chances that were goal scoring opportunities, and I just felt like it became frustrating because you're just like we're just not ever gonna score again. Like we got the one and we're just. I think that the thing that what I'm trying to get at is, you know, do we do we want to sort of uh, conclude is this a positive or a negative? No, it's st- obviously it's still a positive because, like, when you've got the other team on the ropes, it's just tough to keep coming back from that, right? So, if Castillo would have scored that goal, then we would have been we would have felt burned, I, I guess. Of course, Javinko always seems to thrive under pressure, so I think maybe some of those chances he would have taken more a bit more seriously because at, at some point I felt like. He's just taking a shot for taking a shot's sake, yeah. right? Yeah. I think maybe the only concern that I have that's to maybe to play sort of devil's advocate, you know, as I always go to my boxing analogy, it's like when you've thrown your hardest punch at the guy and he's still standing. And then you're like, oh, mm-hmm. shit. Yeah. And, and, and if Castillo had come back with that goal, you know, do you, do you have the belief that you can score the second one after having had a half a dozen to a dozen chances on goal and not being able to bear it? You got to, you know, you got to wonder – they might, and we saw this saying that we saw this last week as well, you know, just maybe like a half red flag to sort of say, okay, this team might need to just get a little, get that finishing a little tighter. Um, because this is a game, you know, last week's game, they could have iced this week's game. They could have iced. They won it. They're going to be happy about it. I'm sure. But uh, I hope that it's something that they say to themselves, you know, getting uh, coming up against Vancouver, who's going to be amped. To take to come to Toronto and, and play a Canadian rival, that they're going to have to score more than one goal. Probably, that's what I think. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't disagree. I think it's yeah. But sure. all that aside, you know, the first sight and sound, Steve, is Greg Vanny was wearing his pink shirt, and when he wears the pink shirt, we win. We got a lockdown. Really, I didn't realize that that was a thing. I don't actually. I don't know either. <laughs> I just know that when Greg Vanny wears a pink shirt, people take notice. Oh. Uh, so I, I'm, I didn't uh, I didn't go on the Twitter during the game, but I would be surprised if there were not some people out there talking about Greg Vanny's pink shirt tonight. So hats off to Greg. He wore his special pink shirt for the home opener. I'm sure everyone was happy about that and that they got the win. Now it's probably even luckier pink shirt. Um, but the other thing, you know, we kind of talked about obviously the stadium, and we you made a you made a quick brief note about I wanted to save it till the end. Yeah, sorry. I don't know if it had anything to do with the renovations, but uh, I don't know if anyone noticed there was no wall of honor. Well, you know, it is something that's really not. No, I mean, it's. it's not, I don't. It's almost not worthy of attention. I mean, because there haven't really been more additions to the Wall of Honor, and did D Rose's name actually go up last year when they gave it to him? So I like. 
Did they move it somewhere? Does anyone know? Like, has it has it been into the bin? In, into has the bin? Been, has it been relocated somewhere? <laughs> when they did the renovations and they had those big green bins outside, they may have tossed a couple of those jerseys in there. Yeah, maybe number eleven. Just curious because uh, we didn't see it next to the Kia ad. <laughs> no, so <laughs> the Kia ad's the only thing out there now. Up nope. Um, uh, I don't know any other. Oh, uh, here's the other sights and sounds. Here's a couple other ones. The sounds, sounds. <laughs> Okay. We're, so we sit in 105, and I will say that this is you know funny, what you know what I say. You know, I thought this was the funniest thing of the night. Okay, but one after, I'm going to just do a little preface to it that I will say that the one thing I thought when the game was getting kicked off, and you were starting to see all the faces that we've seen from well for the last ten Thank years, you. and then some new people have kind of rolled in and out. So there is like the cast of characters who sits in 105, the guys at the back who are kind of like have the TFC chants that aren't quite. They're doing the cheerleading, yeah. You know, source. They're just uh, they're they're trying to get people riled up, and I almost feel like they haven't come up with anything new until tonight. <laughs> well, they, they do come up with things new every game. They do come up with something new, so I can't really say that. But uh, but you know, we Columbus go, with cameras, pineapple on his head. Yeah, that's one of your true. favorites. Yeah, it is true. Yeah. Okay. So no, they do come up with something new. Generally, every game and tonight was no exception. No, it was good. Now with an ice cream vendor. Yeah, they try. They try to do the chance, and they kind of like it's kind of half-hearted through 105. That's what this section has come to. However, the ice cream girl comes. But not half-hearted from them because no, no, from the whole section. But they try and get people. They try and inspire people to sing along, and it's admirable. And then tonight. (laughs) <laughs> the ice cream girl comes the around. Last, I guess the last 20 minutes of the game, yeah, the ice cream vendor's still out, which is usually the beer's gone by then, so there's very few vendors out, and people are looking for something to happen, and the ice cream vendor starts screaming, ice cream, ice cream, and then they scream back, ice cream. <laughs> and so they've gotten into this call and, call and response between the back row and the ice cream vendor. And that turns hilarious. into then, then it turns into almost all of like the top fifteen rows of one hundred and five. I've she's never going, seen one hundred and five uh, get into a chant like they did tonight with the ice cream vendor. <laughs> I, that's all I will say because it hasn't happened in a long time, and it was awesome, and it, also a reflection of how bored people were as, as, at some point. I don't know necessarily bored, but they were certainly they were we were itching for something. For, itching for something, exactly. Yes, itching for something is a good. Way so to ice cream. Ice cream did it. Ice cream became the chant of the day. That was the definitely the best sound of the day. Even though I didn't want to eat ice cream, it was too cold. But what was? And then I had another sight and sound. That was a sound. Uh, I don't know what the sound is, but I think there was a sight with the banner. So they unraveled the uh, Toronto FC banner from season one. You said it was from season one. You know, it looked like it. I only I might have just been saying that because I didn't see the full thing, and it's like the Toronto FC is the old font. Like remember remember when they first had the jerseys that didn't have the the sponsorship? Yeah. So it just said Toronto across the front, and it kind of curved. It was like that. And they had the big. So it's a huge red flag that uh, that gets unfurled uh, in part of the stands. Uh, it hasn't, you know, we haven't seen it in years. And so I guess as part of the Heritage Series, which they started calling, like, the, because this is year 10, this is like, I guess we're ancient now or something, or we have, like, history, <laughs> even though we have very little history. Um, the They brought out this banner, and uh, at some point it started going sideways, and people started commenting about how the banner was drunk <laughs> because it was, like, really tilty and wild. You couldn't read Toronto. It was like Toronto. No. It was like Toronto. Yeah, yeah, it was really – you couldn't see any – yeah, for sure. And and at some point 
But the best part was then it got draped over the VIP sit boxes, and so they couldn't see something for a period of time. And I thought that was hilarious. And then it started going backwards and uh, back across. It was all done on the West End, the West Ends, and it was, uh, I, I mean, something else. It was just one of those other sights and sounds in the stadium. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I have another one, but I don't think that I do. I, I thought know. I had one. Oh, here's, you know, I don't know if I want to do. I don't really necessarily call it smoke and mirrors. We talked about some of the stuff, but I would say as a note that was like interesting was that in today's Toronto Star, they did a full section on the home <laughs> opener. But so they did a big plug of the Toronto Star at half that you missed oh. with four guys reading the star. And uh, obviously it wasn't a live shot. It was something that they had shot beforehand um, looking at that section, actually. So... There was a big plug for this stuff. Because I'll say, I'll, I'll say two things. So, a, so there was like an eight-page spread or something? Yeah, it was an eight-page. Well, I mean, the second, the third page was an ad. The back page was an ad. So it was like whatever, six out of eight it's pages. It's kind of like an insert, right? Yeah. S2, you know what I mean? It was like. So what was it about? Did you get a chance to it was, Yeah, it? I read most of it. It was just sort of hyping up Toronto FC. It's like the cover, the front thing was like Atomic Ant coming home. And then there was something about, you know, Jonathan Osario, hometown guy, Clint Irwin's like diary to the fans, you know, the uh, top 10. And it was like Jersey numbers, like number one was Greg Sutton, like number two, maybe a bit, maybe it was Justin Morrow, da 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 up to number 10. It, I mean, it's, 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 yeah. And I mean, I, I kind of say it in a way that it's like, Hey, it's great that they got that section in the Toronto Saturday star because the mainstream media for this team is kind of like runs hot and cold and usually definitely falls forth behind the Leafs. Yeah. The Raptors and the Jays. But then it's the the flip side where you kind of read it and you're like, this is just it might as well I might as well be on TFC.ca yeah, reading yeah. this stuff. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I understand it's like promotional and it's this and that. So the only thing I would say is that I hope that well, you can glean a little bit of information even from PR stuff, right? Yeah. So it's true. I mean, you have access to the players. But, you know, I'm curious to see, I think her name's Laura Armstrong is the one who wrote it. And curious to see if, like, what her beat is like covering Toronto City, if she keeps, if it's going to be like that or if she's going to be hard on the team. Like, I remember the first year for Toronto, for the Toronto Star, it was Morgan Campbell. And he was great. And then I think the Globe and Mail had Ben Knight. and He was awesome. Um, like, really good in terms of, like, not just writing puff pieces. They actually dug and wrote things that were interesting and some of it was controversial and you know found stories to tell instead of rather just being like oh tfc is inviting us instead of being fed stories yeah or just like oh look the renovations are beautiful this is you guys are so lucky in your new stadium that's not a new stadium we just had a roof put on you know it's like let's take it down a notch take it down a notch it's it's yeah it's cool it's nice and the argos are gonna love it and so is the hockey team when they play there in january i'm sure everyone's gonna be happy about that I think at the end of the day, all that stuff, like we, if I've circled, kind of tie this podcast in a bow, just want to see this team win. Yeah. Right. That's what it kind of comes down to. Like, I'm, I don't need, I don't need fireworks. I don't need a two, three minute preview video montage. Get out there and, and win the game. Yeah. I, I, I almost want to leave it there, but I do have to ask you, what did you think of the pitch? Hey, it wouldn't be Eastside stand up if we weren't talking about pitch condition wouldn't now. What I mean, they still watered it. <laughs> they did. They still watered it. The hybrid so, grass. The hybrid I thought it looked. Grass, yeah. I thought it looked great. Well, there's some real grass in there, so I guess that needs watering, right? I thought it looked fantastic. You were, you were commenting about that they've built two other pitches that they can actually substitute in for this, right? I hope I heard that right. 
I don't know if I made that up in my head. I could have well, sworn someone told me that they have just like put it out there and say if uh, somebody else knows they can contact us. Yeah, because I was I could have sworn I heard someone say that there's like two substitute pitches ready to go because they I don't I think as much as they want to talk about the Argos going in there and it's like oh you won't see the lines and oh everything you know they're never they're not going to be playing in the same week is is what I think that at no point will Toronto FC and Argos be playing in the same short span of short short span of time. But that's all theory. Like, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of soccer stadiums. I think that have like a professional a CFL team and, yeah. and a soccer team playing on it. Yeah, there's no end zone in the south end, right? So they're definitely. I mean, they're gonna have to push it farther in the north. And I don't. I don't know. I you know I've never seen. I haven't seen the. Well, I probably have. I mean, we play pretty late in the season, right? Like, there's games where we play in October, and that's when the CFL is starting. So CFL starts in August. Yeah, so sorry. Well, so, they'll be in their season when we're finishing. Yeah, but there's going to be overlap. So I just I don't believe that at home. No, but I mean like in a, in a given week, right? That there won't be like Toronto's not playing on a Saturday and the Argos are playing on a Sunday. Okay. Anyway, I want to preface something else. I mean, we talked about the pitch being well, we didn't actually say anything. I asked you what you thought of the pitch and you said you didn't say anything about it. But I mean, it was it looked immaculate, right? Because it's like a hybrid pitch. And usually when we're starting the season, it's super cold. Like usually when we're doing home openers, it's in, I mean, we've been as early as March, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, so snow, like we've, there's they been look snow, like shit. There's been snow on the grass before, right? Yeah. <laughs> and the grass looks terrible. And then it gets so dug up really easily. And obviously we've been delayed by two months for a home opener because, and this is like the on, like, so it happened last year, it happened this year. So, you know, in some ways, some of this is forgiven by weather because we started later, but also it's now plastic pitch, right? So partially plastic. Yeah, let's be, let's be fair. Of course it looks beautiful. Like, I mean, how can it not look beautiful? Yeah. I don't know. So anyway, I would just say, I guess we'll give you more comments about the pitch as we see if it holds up over the year. Right? Yeah. I mean, and I think, I think my last, maybe my last comment, my last side down, Steve, is making note of how many straight edge Toronto FC supporters will be all over this scarf this year wearing it with pride. Right. So that that was an important thing. I kept on thinking about that and not getting to it. So yeah, so they're using the numeral X for 10, you know, it's the I guess the Roman numeral for 10. Um, and they actually gave special instruction on how to wear your scarf this year. So what's neat about the scarf? You idiot. What actually is neat about the scarf is it is a double-sided scarf. So it has two sides to it. Like I, I guess every year it has two sides, but there's actually a functional two sides this year. And they give you instructions uh, on the back of the ticket. So I like I like that they're using the real estate of both sides of the ticket this year <laughs> as well. Um, but uh, so yeah, one side, the red side, uh, turns into an X when you fold it, uh, close it, and it was prominently displayed by this guy who's singing the the guy who sings the national yeah, anthem, yeah. who really belts it out. He's great. Um, even though I don't sing the national anthem, I think he's he's great at it, and he sported that X, the ten, the numeral ten. So yes, you will see lots of straight edge kids loving. I guess this year's scarf. I wonder, uh, you know what? I wonder if strange kids across North America will be wanting this year's Toronto Sea scarf. That's a good question. I think it's certainly something that would be go along right with your ex watch, you know? <laughs> there is a new if I, to if, X-Men. If, if I had a reason to wear one anymore, but. Did anyways. you see the X Men Apocalypse trailer on the big screen tonight? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. I left it half. Was that, I didn't yeah. see all the movies. So I was talking to people. Yeah, so. 
Yeah, I miss, I miss X them. I miss X them. Everywhere. Yeah, I miss the movie trailers. Damn it! I made a comment that they should make an X in the pitch. Right? That would have been cool in the circle at the, at yeah, the in center. In the circle, I think it would be great. Okay. All right. So you know, let's leave it at that, Steve. Next weekend we got Vancouver. Same time, same place. I it's think. Be, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and it's going to be exciting. I think so. Yeah. Steve, are you still at CIUT? I am. Sunday nights at ten o'clock. Yeah. Equalizing the start. What channel on the dial? 89.5. Or you can listen online at www.cit.fm. Or, you know, if you, d- you want to hear it afterwards, uh, we have a blog, Equalizing X to Start. The X is for straight edge. Uh, .blogspot.com. Great. And everyone knows you can get me at Clark RNO, info, or have your say at rednationonline.ca, or even at rednationonline. Uh, tweeted at Rick. So, uh, yeah, any comments, questions, opinions, whatever, fire that over. Or clarifications, to- correct? Yeah, definitely yeah, corrections. Yeah, yeah, corrections. We're fine with that. Hey, yeah, there, there are not two pitches up north. Uh, what are you, how are you talking about? But no, we've always get great feedback from people who are listening. So, uh, and we've got a bit this year already. Oh, good. So, excellent. Keep so, it coming, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, I'll leave it at that. Uh, thanks a lot, Steve. Thanks a lot, you guys, for listening. And we'll catch you next week. We want you to get involved. Reach out to us on Twitter at Red Nation Online or by email at info or have your say at rednationonline.ca. Get in touch with us. Let us know how you thought the team did. Agree, disagree, it doesn't matter. Also, check out our other podcasts on Red Nation Online from The Black Hole, Ours is the Fury, and our interview series. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time.